1: Welcome to I Took the High Road with Jacob Jansen. Our program is designed to educate about the drug problems that are reaching epidemic proportions in the United States. Could we be approaching the drug problem the wrong way? Mr. Jansen has been down the road of addiction, down the path of recovery, and now helps others find their path. Addicts are not bad people trying to get good. They are sick people needing to get well. Are you a part of the solution or the problem? Come and join us for an hour of fantastic guests, amazing stories, positive encouragement, and information that just might make your community a better place. Now, here's your host, Jacob Jensen.
2: Hello and good morning. Uh, Welcome to I Took the High Road. I am your host Jacob Jansen and today we have another great show for you. Uh, Today's show is called Marijuana in America with Normal Executive Director Alan F. St. Pierre. So some people call marijuana an illegal drug, some people call it a plant, some people call it a life-saving medicine, and today when you listen to the show, what I ask you to do is just keep your mind open and listen to this hour, and maybe it'll just change the way you think about this. Uh, I just recently posted on Stop Heroin Wisconsin a post about uh, marijuana potentially uh, curbing the opiate epidemic and I got a response from one of the individuals that I thought was very appropriate. It said, being anti-drug of any kind limits people's choices of intoxication and recovery and thus leads to a lack of education and profiteers marketing the more addictive and dangerous drugs. And that idea of a drug is a drug is a drug is just not true. Uh, When I was growing up and thinking back to my youth, the first time I tried marijuana, I thought to myself, wow, they lied to me, that this didn't fry my brain, just say no didn't work. And then all of a sudden, um, that whole everything that was told to me about drug use was a lie from these people that I trusted. And it really made me think, okay, if marijuana wasn't as dangerous as all these people told me, well, then everything else must not be also. So that was very dangerous, not having that education around how this medicine or drug differed from some of the other ones. So I found an article and I want to read it. It says, Legal marijuana is the fastest growing industry in the United States, and if the trend towards legalization spreads to all 50 states, marijuana could become larger than the organic food industry, according to a new report obtained by the Huffington Post. Researchers from the Arcview Group, a cannabis industry investment and research firm based in Oakland, California, found that the U.S. market for legal cannabis grew 74% in 2014 to $2.7 billion up from $1.5 billion in 2013. The group surveyed hundreds of medical and recreational marijuana retailers in states where sales are legal as well as ancillary business operators and independent cultivators of the plan over the course of seven months during 2013 and 2014. ArcView also compiled data from state agencies, nonprofit organizations, and private contracts Companies in the marijuana industry for a more complete look at the marketplace. The report also projects a strong year for marijuana in 2015 and projects 32% growth in the market. That places cannabis in the top spot when compared with other fastest growing industries. Over the next five years, the marijuana industry is expected to continue to grow, with Arcview predicting that 14 more states will legalize recreational marijuana and two more states will legalize medical marijuana. At least 10 states are already considering legal recreational marijuana in just the next two years through ballot measures or state legislatures. To date, four states, Colorado, Washington, Alaska, and Oregon have all legalized retail marijuana. Washington, D.C., voters also legalized recreational marijuana use, but sales currently remain banned. 23 states have legalized medical cannabis. Still, marijuana remains illegal at the federal level. The report projects that by 2019, all of the state legal marijuana markets combined will make for a potential overall market worth almost $11 billion annually. So it's a huge market. So I want to introduce my guest today. Uh, My guest is Alan F. St. Pierre, and he's been cited in hundreds of international, national, and local news publications. Mr. St. Pierre has appeared on hundreds of nationally televised news programs, including ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, C-SPAN. Fox and PBS and on over a thousand radio shows representing Normal's point of view on the topic of marijuana. Mr. St. Pierre was hired by Normal in early 1991 as a communications director In 1993, he became the organization's deputy national director. Early in 1997, the Normal Foundation was created, and Mr. St. Pierre currently serves as its founding executive director. Mr. St. Pierre is the executive director of the Normal, the Normal Foundation's reports, publications, and webpage, as well as the organization's archivist. The Normal Foundation is a nonprofit, legal, research, and educational organization whose main focus is to work with its sister organization, Normal, and other organizations that seek to advance the agenda of marijuana law reform. Alan F. St. Pierre, thank you for joining me on the show this morning.
3: Good day. Thanks for having us.
2: So I want to get right into the questions here. What is the NORMAL organization and the NORMAL foundation all about? NORMAL, for the listener, stands for the National Organization of the Reform of Marijuana Laws. What is it all about?
3: Sure, the two organizations are sort of uh, work hand-in-hand. It's uh, standard operation in D.C. and state capitals where you have the 501c4 organization, which is the lobby group, which basically means people who make large donations can't write them off, as deductible and you have limited uh, and you can fully engage in politics and lobbying and et cetera and that's what normalism has been since nineteen seventy and in the mid-nineties the normal foundation was created as a 501 c3 it's limited in its uh, capacity for lobbying and it largely engages in litigation education social organizing um, Helping folks who have been busted for cannabis, so uh, two different organizations, but they have to use a sort of bad uh, slur—a Chinese firewall between the two of them—and st- again, standard operation. And the NAACP Foundation has the same situation—the gay lesbian organization. So, mm-hmm. uh, for those who wouldn't understand why there'd be two organizations, um, and and. Yes, uh, because of the lovely legalities of tax law, Uh, these two (laughs) different entities work similarly, but they are definitely separate.
2: This question I wanted to ask early in the show, because it may have a long answer. Why do you think marijuana prohibition is not working in America right now?
3: Well, I think pretty simply, after 78 years, 26 million arrests, hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars spent to arrest people, to prosecute them, to incarcerate, to propagandize. I'll use a couple of brand names like the DARE program or the Partnership for Drug Free America. And just think about that for a minute. Just the word alone. Drug hyphen free America. How delusional is that? This mm-hmm. is the most drug addled society in human history. And the idea that we would have our government put out propaganda that we would sort of buy into the idea that that we would have a drug-free America. There's not a drug-free mountain range, a desert, an <laughs> island. Anywhere on earth, and arguably there never should be. Humans and drugs interface with each other. Of course, what you probably appreciate is that what we want to do as humans is not abuse and misuse drugs. Mm -hmm. If that happens, then yeah, then we have to deal with those consequences. But for those vast majority of people who use these products responsibly, uh, there really arguably shouldn't be this incredible government violence and intervention into their lives and the expense of the taxpayer and to what end? Um, So, uh, long-winded answer, but um, just like with alcohol prohibition that lasted about a dozen years, this 78-year prohibition also in our free market democracy uh, is a failure.
2: You know, know, I I agree, and... uh, when I do interventions, you know, I'm a certified mm-hmm. intervention specialist, when I do interventions in the families, we don't focus on the substance, but the actions, mm-hmm. you know, uh, are the actions causing problems, you know, and a lot of times, in a lot of cases, uh, the crisis point comes with an arrest, the, the arrest mm-hmm. charges. It certainly did with mine. My first charge uh, ever in the criminal justice system was a marijuana-related charge, and that certainly, uh, after getting arrested and put into the drug testing, kind of Push me into a different class of chemicals. Um, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, to
3: say that to what you alluded to earlier on about you know not only the bad information teenagers generally get about drugs and marijuana, and then that makes them make these illogical assumptions that once they use marijuana. Know, if you 've been lied about marijuana, then the heroin and the cocaine or the meth uh, or the uh, or other drugs is mm. equally non consequential uh, so uh, and then the arrest process um, right now in the United States, about seven hundred thousand Americans are arrested every year on marijuana possession wow. uh, it, it 's what draws people into the criminal justice system. Uh, the racial disparity is disgusting. Uh, and it starts to, in today's world, um, of, of electronic data, there's no expunging records, I would argue, today. Once you get drawn into the system and this electronic data is created for you, it is largely going to follow you to your grave, whether that's crossing a border, getting a job, getting a security clearance, um, uh, interfacing with police again. Uh, you are marked because of something as ubiquitous as about one out of seven americans use marijuana despite its prohibition mm-hmm. one out of three young people between the ages of 15 and 25 use it so we surely have criminalized a very large portion of our society
2: mm-hmm. they, they and the the prison industry employ the u.s. prison industry employs more people than the u.s. auto industry right now and we touched on locking marijuana users up we currently do that in the United States. What is your opinion on this, locking people up? Is that helping?
3: This anybody? is absurd. Uh, we, by our estimates, there's about 100 to 120,000 people in the United States who are incarcerated on marijuana-only related charges. Most of them surely were cultivators, traffickers, and sellers. But there's a healthy portion of them who are just consumers. Um, one can go to a webpage like lifeforpot.org, and see the stories of about twelve to fifteen men who are serving life sentences for marijuana only related crimes no violence just a large amount of marijuana grown or that they got caught trafficking with so when i talk to my friends or lecture in europe or other parts of the country and they hear and see the data in the united states and the cost that we employ to try to stop people from using marijuana they can't believe it. In the EU, um, uh, they would never incarcerate somebody for 30, 40, 50 years or a life for a marijuana-related offense. Uh, so incarceration uh, should only be used to deter, okay, well, that's not working, or to keep people from... Uh, people who are, are seriously dangerous to other people. Well, unless somebody has um, abused marijuana, and by that we can talk about things like driving intoxicated, coming to the workplace, uh, having children in your care, those deserve logical, reasonable, civil, and criminal penalties um, to deter that behavior. Not incarceration. Incarceration is what we do, again, for people who are genuinely a risk to others uh, and if somebody's using marijuana responsibly in their house it's hard to imagine where the compelling state interest is made there mm-hmm.
2: What do you think we're doing wrong in this country as far as marijuana education? How do we change this? And let's start with in terms of our youth because we kind of talked about mm-hmm. some of that.
3: Sure. Well, let's stop uh, lying to them. That would be a good place. I think the thinking about the Bob Marley uh, tune uh, of um, Tell the Children the Truth uh, is uh, uh, resonates well, to use a bad pun. Uh, it's <laughs> it's you know, the D.A.R.E. program. Think about mm-hmm. that. and We had that in the, school, in the public school systems for almost 20 years in the system. It's largely abated. Why? Because it was an abject failure. Abject failure. At, at one point, it had turned into literally turn your parents in program. Uh, kids were being taught, you know, what to look for. And if they saw it, they were encouraged to write down their name and to put it into this little box. And the officers, officers who were in the classroom teaching, teaching, the children, uh, would then get that information, go to a prosecutor, get a search warrant, and then go arrest their parents.
2: Yeah, so that's, that's,
3: I mean, does that sound Orwellian or, or World War 2 Nazi-like? Scary. Well,
2: yeah, and, and I've heard, you know, when I talk to kids, too, it's that... It, it, why are they going to take advice? The ones that need it probably need the most guidance are the ones that probably don't have that stable family structure possibly. And they're the ones who are seeing these police officers maybe possibly arrest their parents. Why are these kids going to listen to that segment of the population when they're so anti against it? We need to start, um, Telling our kids the truth with these well, things
3: I think we can go back to a book that is I don't know that it's in print anymore one can surely find it in the world of the intertubes uh, like Amazon and whatnot uh, Dr. Mm-hmm. Andy Weil who's sort of a, a popular uh, figure in American medicine today way back in the 1980s he along with a uh, a woman named Winifred Rosen wrote I think a great book called from Chocolate to Morphine and it basically <laughs> says as a as a parent you're going to teach your child that you know, from the time they're born, they're going to have relationships with drugs. Literally, from chocolate to morphine. And the idea is that you want to encourage them to have a good, functional, healthy, relationship with these drugs. And of course, we could go go doctoral dissertation on what that means, but I think we generally understand that 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 means not misusing and abusing, becoming addicted to, using outside of ritual, outside of the uh, uh, social norms of others to put others at risk, um, to prioritize the drug use over other hierarchical needs. (laughs) So clearly... uh, that's what we want to communicate to our children, not the confusion that, oh, 400,000 pharmaceutical drugs, they're okay. <laughs> Tobacco kills 400,000 people a year in America alone. That's no problem. Alcohol, <laughs> no problem. Mm-hmm. Oh, but marijuana, that's a moral turpitude. You're a moral deviant if you engage in that behavior. So for me, I often end a lot of my college lectures by putting up a graph, your standard XY graph. Um, and people can see whatever it is. on I don't tell people what the XY graf- graphic axis is, but they, whatever it is they can see, it's not popular. In the last 50 years, it has dropped off the table like a rock. And then I put in the data and indicate mm-hmm. to people that in my lifetime, I'm nearly 50 years old, tobacco use has been cut in half in my life. It's the most addictive substance humans interface with. It has the highest degree uh, to kill uh, in terms of its mortality. It was certainly glamorized for years. It was subsidized by the federal government for hundreds of years. It was literally given away to the military until the mid-1980s for free. (laughs) And so um, here we have today this great public health success story when i was born in nineteen sixty five the surgeon general didn't make tobacco illegal he didn't declare that those who grow it and market it and sell it are evil terrible people he basically said it's an unwise health decision and you need to seriously consider um, the health consequences before you engage in this behavior well lo and behold what's happened Despite no prohibition and government violently telling people not to engage in this behavior, we've seen a 50% reduction by the volition of the ensuing generations who decide on their own, I don't want to use tobacco. And I think that is the prime example that if government truly wanted to see, which it's never seen, a 50% under prohibition, a 50% reduction in 20 or 30 years with marijuana, it would have to legalize it, it would have to normalize it, it would have to tax it at a aggressive vice like level, like we do for alcohol and tobacco products, and the education that we would have to give kids is have to be incredible and verifiable, which is and what the Dare program in partnership for Drug Free America was not.
2: I got to hold you right there. We got to take a quick commercial break from our sponsors. When we come back, more with Alan F. Saint Pierre.
0: Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
2: Hi, my name is Jacob Jansen, and I am the owner of my recovery project. Do you know someone using drugs or alcohol? Are their actions negatively affecting you or people you care about? If so, it is time for an intervention. Far too often, we are a country that acts after problems arise. It is time to act now. Interventions confront a person and allow them to see their self-destructive behavior and how it affects themselves, family, and friends. Just as important, interventions help the family understand the disease of addiction and make sure the loved one gets the help they need by offering a solution of treatment. I have been through the hell of addiction and I have found a passion in recovery helping others. Getting a person into treatment can be a difficult task. I help the family through this providing options and I become a mediator during the intervention. If you would like more information, please visit www.myrecoveryproject.com or call 262-290-1072 for a free consultation before things get worse.
0: My name is Linda Lenz. Last year, my husband and I received a phone call that no parent should ever receive. We received a call that our 23-year-old son had died of a heroin overdose. We were on a mission to find out how this could happen. He was a beautiful person, intelligent, a straight-A student, and a wonderful son. But here's what we did not know. The drug landscape had changed. Kids in junior high and high school were using prescription pills to get high. Prescription pills are opiates, just like heroin, and they can be found in almost every home's medicine cabinet. To combat this problem, we established a Facebook page, Stop WI, and a website, StopHeroinNow.org. Please go to this website and donate generously. All of your money goes directly to prevention programs and rehabilitation programs. StopHeroinNow.org. So no parent ever has to receive that phone call. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
1: You are listening to I Took the High Road with host Jacob Jansen. To reach our show today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. Or send us an email at Jacob Jansen at I Now, back to the show.
2: Hello, and welcome back to I Took the High Road. I am your host, Jacob Jansen, and today's show is Marijuana in America with Normal Executive Director Alan F. St. Pierre. And before the break, we were talking about what are we doing wrong in this country as far as marijuana education in terms of the youth. Uh, now, Mr. St. Pierre, uh, what are we doing wrong in this country as far as medic- or marijuana education uh, as far as medicinal and recreational purposes?
3: Well, uh, there is no real education coming from the government, uh, if you will, uh, about the fact that people use medical marijuana for a number of disease types, but the vast majority of people who use marijuana use it as a recreational drug, if you will. By our estimates here at Normal, for every nine people who use marijuana, one has an absolute, bona fide, legitimate need for cancer, AIDS, epilepsy, MS, or any number of different ailments. So um, it would be helpful, uh, and, and one can understand why youth would be confused, because we don't have medical use of alcohol. We don't have medical use of tobacco, but we do have that for marijuana, clearly, and that has emerged both in the culture and in commerce in the last 20 years.
2: What is your opinion on marijuana as a gateway substance?
3: Well, I think this is one of the great, terrible myths uh, going back to dealing with children and education. Uh, there's really almost nobody in the United States who's grown up since the 1960s who weren't exposed to the idea that marijuana is supposedly a stepping stone, a gateway, a door-opening drug. And this is just ridiculous based on both the culture and the data. The data, since the 1990s, the drugs that children first try are alcohol, tobacco, pharmaceuticals, which they steal from parents or grandparents, and marijuana. Marijuana is the fourth drug that they try. Yes, it's the first illegal drug, but it's not the first drug that they try. And with something like tobacco, for example, if a youth becomes habituated to that when they're 15, 16, 17 years old, like let's say smoke a pack a day, Mm -hmm. do the math. If you sleep eight hours a day and you smoke 20 cigarettes, you have to... Smoke a cigarette about every forty forty five minutes that 's compunction that 's what leads a person uh, or but w- whether they have a genetic predis- predisposition or not to l- start to lead towards compunctive dip behavior like comp- uh, compulsive drug taking or other types of things because they 're t- effectively stimulating themselves or medicating themselves if you will about every forty minutes <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so uh, And the other thing, too, about uh, the data, for every 102 people in the United States that try marijuana, one will go on and abuse heroin or cocaine or another drug. So, thankfully, oh so thankfully, we don't have a binary uh, relationship with people who use marijuana and then go on and use these other harder, more problematic substances Thankfully, a very small portion of people will go on and engage in that behavior. And I would suggest that is where a lot of our public health concern should be directed when we talk about a drug policy are those that are now engaged in serious drug abuse, using drugs that cause a high degree of physical withdrawal and craving. And cannabis largely doesn't create that. Yes, people can have an abuseful relationship with it. Uh, but it doesn't come close to the type of addiction that is caused by ethyl alcohol, caffeine, uh, nicotine, opioids, cocaine, barbiturates. They are in a truly different class by themselves, uh, speaking of cannabis products. Mm-hmm.
2: You know, and you mentioned with tobacco, um, I've had uh, read studies before and I mentioned this in the show that youth who smoke tobacco are nine times more likely to be clinically diagnosed with a substance abuse problem uh, when they grow up. So big links between tobacco and alcohol and substance abuse problems too. Yeah. So if so uh,
3: we see less youth use tobacco, then one assumes uh, logically we'll see a lesser degree of the drug abuse problems because they'll be less youth-oriented to this habit of using, again, if, if a pack is smoked a day, that is such a reinforcement of drug-taking behavior.
2: Yes, and, and depending on what studies you look at, I've seen some numbers saying that you know over the last few years, um, youth usage rates have slowly been decreasing, so maybe there is some similarity with the, the tobacco connection there. Uh, so, Colorado uh, you know uh, was the, one of the first states to legalize cannabis for recreational use. What has been the result of this after the first year? What have we seen there?
3: Well, I would suggest it 's largely been entirely positive it 's hard to actually uh, it 's a struggle, I believe to find any pathologies or uh, negative effects from the state of Colorado going from marijuana being illegal to legal. Um, tax revenue is now coming in something like 60 to $70 million has come in uh, $8 million dollars of that money is earmarked and given to the University of Colorado and others to do studies on marijuana to mm. help deter you know youth uh, use when you go to Colorado like I have and, 8
2: million that's a big chunk
3: <laughs> and and here's the great irony someone like myself goes there buys marijuana legally Pays effectively a 35% tax rate on the product. And then that night uh, during the primetime news hours from, say, like 5 to 7 on all the stations there, there are not anti marijuana ads, but really quite well done ads uh, instructing, educating the public, largely parents, on how to deter your kids from using marijuana and how to talk to them about it. And it is the opposite of what we grew up with with the DARE program and the Partnership for Drug Free America. And so the irony is we marijuana consumers, are paying for the very ads that are now on TV that will help deter youth not to engage in the behavior. Uh, I think that sort of is a sweet irony. Um, mm-hmm. uh, there's not an increase in people driving while intoxicated. That's a good thing to say. There is not an increase in absenteeism in the workplace or um, other types of social problems. About the one area that has emerged, and it's been fascinating to watch, and, and it was one could again go doc, doctoral dissertation length uh, trying to examine this, is this phenomena of edibles, uh, marijuana, um, uh, uh, food products, how they affect people's body, um, how a naive, uh, inexperienced marijuana user who might go out there and say, oh, well, I don't want to smoke marijuana because I don't smoke. Again, speaking to the fact that we're in a, moving towards trends of being against smoking anything, whether it's marijuana or tobacco. But mm-hmm. they to see these candy-like products, which... Taste just like candy, look very good, are packaged like that, and consume it, and in and, and, and effect, you know, have a, not an adverse reaction in the sense of a, they have to go to the emergency room or something terrible, but there has been an increase of, um, in the last couple of years, from about 10 youth going to emergency rooms at this big hospital in downtown Denver uh, to 20 or more okay that's clearly not a good upward trend and, sure. and so there's definitely uh, and, and so the legislatures come up with well maybe we can address this with new legislation maybe with new packaging maybe these products have to be in all red or they have to be shaped in a certain way so that children can start to figure out that this product, going back to an earlier question, is not for me. This is in medicine or it's an adult recreational product. It's not a candy. And the example here is something like Xlax. lax <laughs> Just sure. use a brand name. You know, they make a chocolate candy that helps you go to the bathroom. Well, we don't have a lot of problems in this country with kids overdosing or taking Xlax because there's a delineated market in it.
2: Sure. You know, I remember there was fruit-flavored cigarettes for a while, too, oh, that, yeah. that came off the, <laughs> the market. Yeah. Uh, so... You know, when we talk about these edibles, you know, a big uh, part of them are the CBD oils and we've seen medical cannabis legalized in 23 states and that created quite a bit of buzz uh, around the CBD components of cannabis. Can you explain what CBD oils are and how they're used in the
3: medical field? complicated. Uh this is a whole new emerging field. Most people are familiar with the term THC, tetrahydrocannabinol. That is the main active uh psychoactive ingredient in cannabis, but it's not the only one and it looks like CBD, cannabidiol, is a fascinating therapeutic quality of the drug plant uh and maybe if separated could be a breakout drug. Some argue that it has to be used with other parts of the plant like THC to get what's called an ensemble or an entourage effect. Those who have seen these two CNN specials over the last year with Sanjay Gupta, where they really have delved deeply into this at a scientific level regarding, is CBD helpful by itself? Could it be used in in conjunction with other parts of cannabis products? Um, it, It... did. CBD, like THC, is a Schedule I drug, meaning that it is not used for legally for therapeutic reasons or recreational. There's no legal source for it in the United States. But there's massive confusion about it because you can readily buy it online. It comes from other countries. Um, the CNN special has created a buzz, if you will, around people, particularly a lot of parents who are desperate for um, some remedies for their children who have certain ailments and when trying marijuana or marijuana oils or CBD have had what they believe is remarkable success. Anecdotal, I'd suggest to you, because we don't have any peer review studies, because the irony here is the federal government, until very, very recently, until last year, did not allow therapeutic research with marijuana. If you wanted to be a res- if you're a researcher in the United States in the last 40 years and you wanted to study the bad or possible harmful effects of marijuana, you got all the protocols approved and all the marijuana you wanted for research, but not the other way around. Which means, at its core, this has been a decidedly um... intellectually dishonest discussion at the scientific methodology level the federal government has a hundred percent monopoly on the protocol on the supply of legal marijuana for research and if they only allow the negative aspects to be looked at not the positive Um, Well, I guess I probably don't have to say that that almost sounds criminal in, in not allowing the full scientific research of this plant and speaks to why prohibition is so bad. It literally affects the scientific methodology.
2: Mm-hmm. You mentioned you know marijuana as a Schedule One drug. Can you explain you know wh- <laughs> why it was put as a Schedule One drug, and uh, is there is it ever going to move to a Schedule true drug with cocaine and methamphetamine, which are classified as helpful or, or less dangerous? Than to
3: marijuana? answer the first, the second part more readily, yes, because as sure as you have a nose and ten toes, and I do, it makes no sense from a pharmacological reason that marijuana is a Schedule One drug with heroin and an lsd and some other exotics and not a lower schedule with drugs like you mentioned cocaine oxycontin vicodin ketamine those drugs are highly addictive very deadly cause incredible psychotropic reaction and yet they're legal and prescribed under a, a, a series of guided uh, uh, situations with a doctor and clearly marijuana fits in that same ambit it too can be re- prescribed it too is safe Safe. it's non-toxic. So, Mm -hmm. I would argue, uh, from my own point of view, it it should not be in any schedule. But if we had to at least acknowledge that the Controlled Substance Act of 1970 is the system we have in place where we... Oh, by the way, tobacco, alcohol, and caffeine are not scheduled. They're exempted. And I Mm -hmm. believe marijuana should be as well. But if we're still going to stay in the, you know, la-la land of the... Uh, Controlled Substances Act, marijuana has got to be a very low schedule, certainly lower than one, probably a five. Um, And uh, so drugs are basically broken into these five schedules. Number one is the drug that if it's Schedule 1, it literally is like kryptonite. It cannot be used for anything at all. Government will not allow researchers to hardly touch it. And so uh that doesn't make any sense in a in a country where one out of seven Americans use it, as you just read from um that report earlier. This is one of the biggest growing industries in the United States, and it just seems bizarre. That the federal government with a straight face can still maintain the idea that marijuana is a schedule one drug. So yes, it is going to come down schedule. It could be one of the last things President Obama does, I think, in his tenure. He's already done a sort of remarkable series of things to allow the states to have much greater autonomy to decentralize the war against marijuana from the federal government's point of view. And one of the last things he might do, which he has the power to do, is to lower the schedule of marijuana from one to two.
2: And on that note, we got to take another quick commercial break from our sponsors. But when we come back, more with normal executive director Alan F. St. Pierre.
0: Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. My name is Linda Lenz. Last year, my husband and I received a phone call that no parent should ever receive. We received a call that our 23-year-old son had died of a heroin overdose. We were on a mission to find out how this could happen. He was a beautiful person, intelligent, a straight-A student, and a wonderful son. But here's what we did not know. The drug landscape had changed. Kids in junior high and high school were using prescription pills to get high. Prescription pills are opiates, just like heroin, and they can be found in almost every home's medicine cabinet. To combat this problem, we established a Facebook page, StopHeroinWI, and a website, StopHeroinNow.org. Please go to this website and donate generously. All of your money goes directly to prevention programs and rehabilitation programs. StopHeroinNow.org So no parent ever has to receive that phone call.
2: Hi, my name is Jacob Jansen, and I am the owner of My Recovery Project. Do you know someone using drugs or alcohol? Are their actions negatively affecting you or people you care about? If so, it is time for an intervention. Far too often, we are a country that acts after problems arise. It is time to act now. Interventions confront a person and allow them to see their self-destructive behavior and how it affects themselves, family, and friends. Just as important, interventions help the family understand the disease of addiction and make sure the loved one gets the help they need by offering a solution of treatment. I have been through the hell of addiction, and I have found a passion in recovery helping others. Getting a person into treatment can be a difficult task. I help the family through this providing options, and I become a mediator during the intervention. If you would like more information, please visit www.myrecoveryproject.com or call 262-290-1072 for a free consultation before things get worse.
0: Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
1: You are listening to I Took the High Road with host Jacob Jansen. To reach our show today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or send us an email at jacobjanssen at itookthehighroad.com. Now, back to the show.
2: Hello, and welcome back to I Took the High Road. I am your host, Jacob Jansen, and today's show is Marijuana in America with Normal Executive Director Alan F. St. Pierre. And before the break, we were talking about CDB, uh, CBD oils in marijuana and how they are used to treat uh, different medical um Different medical issues. So, uh, we are in the midst of an opiate epidemic across our country right now, Mr. St. Pierre. Uh, Can marijuana help stem the opiate addiction crisis in America?
3: Yes, I think on two different levels. One is it gets police to stop focusing on otherwise law abiding cannabis consumers. The arresting of 700,000 people a year for marijuana possession deters and, and, and deflects police and law enforcement attention from those who pro, um, smuggle these products like heroin in the United States since it's not produced here has to come from somewhere else uh, and uh, and then what they really should be doing in my view from a public health point of view is pouring most of that money eighty percent of the money into rehab intervention uh, and education. So that's number one. And number two is um, we talked earlier about marijuana as a gateway drug. Well, there are a number of, of very convincing papers that would argue that marijuana is a stepping off drug, meaning that many people will go from something like heroin addiction to using marijuana. Now, I call that um, drug substitution and harm reduction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I've debated individuals who say, well, that's ridiculous. That's just substituting one drug for another. But those of us who have put our friends and family members in the ground because they use too much heroin or too much cocaine or whatnot, that seems like a rather hollow argument because I, if we think about a Hobson's choice, I'd rather have you know a, a, um, a marijuana consumer, maybe even an abuser, uh, alive and in my in my household, than to have to have somebody die because they used hard drugs uh, to the point of death. You
2: know, I live in a you know in Wisconsin, which is a very conservative area of the country. Why are marijuana? There are state marijuana policies so varied from state to state right now.
3: And, and they are. Uh, in fact, if you get in a car in Portland, Maine, with an ounce of marijuana, and you drive across our lovely country to Portland, Oregon, that ounce of marijuana will not only change its legal status, state to state to state, I would suggest to you county to county, city to city, and regrettably courthouse to courthouse. I have been in courthouses where in courtroom A, one- Person with a very similar series of circumstances and weight with cannabis gets one set of punishments, and in the next courtroom, an entirely different punishment or none at all. So you're entirely correct. Uh, uh, I often say that um, marijuana policy is largely dictated by the uh, uh, ground you are standing on at the moment you interface with the government. Um, you're either going to be a victim of geography. Or, in the case of, say Wisconsin, if somebody wants to or needs medical cannabis or just wants to use it, as compared to somebody who would find their organisms, say in Colorado or Washington or Oregon or Alaska, where marijuana is legal, taxed commerce so um, yes, uh, the country we are the United States of america there's a, this is a larger discussion around clearly states' abilities to come up with their own laws, and to some degree we don 't have a huge disparity state-to-state but we all know that there is differences there's differences regarding guns and seat belts and Mm -hmm. and uh... wearing a helmet state-to-state to state state. and so that's logical that is the sort of lovely frustration of the united states in general but um... i would suggest thinking about the reform aspects of this this makes a lot of sense because this is bubbling up you talked about twenty three states have medical marijuana laws Mm -hmm. Uh, 17 states have decriminalized possession, and, of course, four have outright legalized it. And the federal government, the sui generis of this problem, uh, which is most recalcitrant and not willing to change the laws it created all these years ago, which are no longer popular, more than 50% of the American public, according to Gallup polling, doesn't support marijuana legalization anymore. They support it being a tax product like alcohol and tobacco. So... It is the states that are putting upward pressure on the federal government to ultimately get them to change their laws. And once the federal government does, we will definitely have more uniformity. But just like with alcohol and other laws, there will be state-to-state variations.
2: Sure. You know, I watched a web interview uh, with you about 10 years ago. I believe you were in Oregon, and you were talking about how D.C. Um, had strict penalties and, and weren't very open to the idea of marijuana use. Mm-hmm. That's recently changed as D.C. has uh, legalized it. Now, what do you think we would see in terms of marijuana legalization over the next few years in the U.S.?
3: Well, it's surely going to happen to your point. You're right. Uh, when I was making those remarks, they were accurate 10 years ago. I walked into a voting booth uh, this past year, and 70% of me and my fellow D.C.ites voted for marijuana legalization. And in democracy, that sounds like a winner. And so you're right. Attitudes have changed, they, and, the, and they are reflective at the voting booth, and therefore politicians, if they're half-smart... Would be following and listening. Um, there's going to be some huge changes in the United States. Clearly, we're, we're alluding to all of this in this larger discussion that we're going from prohibition to a tax legal commerce. So, in 2015, I'm going to suggest to you a couple of things. Twenty states are going to have legalization bills. Many of them have already been introduced. Um, we think three have a good chance of actually passing. Uh, they're all New England states, Maine, Vermont, and Rhode Island. Um, we think that there's even a chance to override government, governor vetoes if those governors are not supportive. And that's important because in those four states that have legalized marijuana, that has been done by voter initiative. Mm-hmm. I suggest it would be um, uh, to a higher degree of political maturation if a state legislature passes these laws and, and it comes to be. Um, that's up from one state in 2009 that had a legalization. So that's a pretty impressive upward ramp. The other is um, the federal government alone is going to have 20 or more reform bills, everything from legalization to industrial hemp to sentencing reform to tax and banking. But I'm going to suggest to you, under the Republican-led Congress, none of it is going to pass very little. Of it. We'll even get a subcommittee hearing. So Congress still remains a huge problem. 2016 really is, uh, could be the penultimate year for marijuana law reform, because it's in that year that reformers will once again go back to California, that nation state where one out of seven Americans live, That's economy would be the sixth or seventh in the world between France and Italy, if it was just carved out by itself, it is again, a nation state within our own country. And it's the state that is the most pro marijuana, has the most amount of marijuana consumers and cultivators. And so um I would suggest to you if California goes for legalization, then the country moves towards that. the hemisphere, Canada, Mexico, most of Central and South America, and then the EU, most all the countries, say for the Scandinavian countries, will quickly adopt legalization. So from a strategic point of view, California is really the linchpin reformers in 2010 only lost by 3 percentage points and now we've passed laws in these other states and those usually pass by the 55 percentile or so so um california in 2016 is the big target there'll be some other states also massachusetts and others that will probably have some initiatives nevada arizona but california is really, really the big prize. And then the presidential sweepstakes. We are likely going to see whether the Republican, Democrat, or Libertarian or grassroots parties, Green Parties, um, we're going to see presidential candidates in their ascendancy from the beginning of the process in favor of marijuana legalization, looking at the polls, looking at the data, looking at the changes of public attitude. So we could see a president get elected in two thousand and sixteen that, like President Obama, he didn't run on any of this stuff, but it's pretty clear that he, as a baby boomer who consumed marijuana in Hawaii growing up, uh, same thing, baby boomers, they're the ones that are taking over. Now, having said that, If a social conservative, a really, really serious social conservative, gets elected, then almost all the things we've talked about are rather ephemeral. Mr. Obama didn't pass any pro-marijuana laws. He never even issued an executive order. This has all been done by memo. So um, the next president could cancel all of this from happening, and then much of what we just talked about would be thrown into total chaos.
2: What are we seeing... And, you know, you mentioned some other countries out there that, you know, are are looking at California as the linchpin. What are we seeing in other countries as far as their marijuana policies? Are they becoming more lax across the world? Are there current countries we should be modeling our policies
3: after? Well, I, I would suggest uh, reformers have been trying to model the American marijuana system on the Dutch system, where people, adults, can go buy marijuana in these so-called coffee shops and and use it there, like we do alcohol in a bar, or you have to go home and use it responsibly in the in the privacy of your private property. Uh, and I think that's what we're sort of inspired in this country to to put together, and is and largely moving in that direction. There's not a lot of examples around the world where marijuana laws are becoming harsher or made more stringent because baby boomers, whether here in this country or all over the world, are starting to take over the reins of power. My suggestion here is if you're a baby boomer, you have primary and secondary experience with marijuana that makes you more tolerant about it than, say, a World War II generation, say somebody over 73, who uh, we otherwise would call the reefer madness generation, who were totally opposed culturally and spiritually and morally to marijuana use, though they'd be very happy drinking a martini and smoking a cigar. So mm-hmm. um, as those folks, like my grandparents, attriciate, um, you know, my parents who are in their 70s, I'm nearly 50, That's a model largely for the country and the world as we move away from reefer madness towards a greater degree of tax and regulate.
2: I moved away from this this question. It's probably not the proper order, but I wanted to touch it before we get to the end of the show. Um, you know we talked about CBD oils and how they're used to help with pain and physical uh-huh. symptoms, and THC is the psychoactive substance in marijuana. Have there been any studies done on marijuana to treat psychological disorders such as bipolar ADHD, anxiety, any of those type of things? We talked so much about the physical.
3: Not a lot. Going back to the point that uh, in this country, if you're a psychiatrist or psychologist or researchers, trade associations associated with them, you can't get legal marijuana from the government and your protocols approved. Now, that doesn't mean that there isn't research in other countries, and yes, research in other countries, if done correctly, is just as valid there as it is here. So we have to look to studies done other, in other countries, and yes, there are examples where people use marijuana for depression, for PTSD. In fact, it will surprise many, I'm sure, if they don't already know, the Israeli army provides marijuana to its soldiers when they retire for P- if they want it for PTSD and there's probably no soldiers in the world that suffer as much under the anxiety of constant war and battle and and and, and that's a drafted army um, you must as a male uh, be in the army there and so uh they come out of it with a lot of stress and PTSD and marijuana is prescribed to them <laughs> So, so I would suggest, wow. yeah, marijuana can be quite helpful for people with certain, you know, mental anxiety or other problems.
2: Well, it's it's not, you know, our government uses amphetamines for some of the pilots and That's bombing right. runs and That's things right. like yep. that too. So, again, going back uh, to
3: this thing that we have, as humans, we have relationships with drugs. This idea of a drug-free America, when we're giving pilots drugs so that they can go 24 hours for their bombing missions, really drug-free? Hardly. <laughs>
2: If someone would like more information on the Normal organization, how can they get it?
3: Well, that's easy, N-O-R-M-L dot org. Uh, you can view our massive and popular web page. People can call us in the Washington, D.C. office at 202-483-5500. But what I encourage is folks to join their local chapter. Normal is the only drug policy reform group for legalization uh, that has chapters. And these chapters for 44 years are the grassroots that have been moving marijuana law reform in the United States so people can find out their local chapter and and get involved at the most grassroots level.
2: We got about a minute and a half here till we have to close. What's the final message for our listeners today?
3: The final message is that, uh, and, and we've alluded to a lot of this, humans have relationships with drugs. Humans have been using marijuana for thousands and thousands of years. One can even argue whether one looks at um, Life From an evolutionary point of view, or from uh, a uh, um, a uh, intelligent design as it's known, uh, every human on the face of the earth, whether they 've used marijuana or not, have THC receptors in their gut in their spine in their brain. how did they get there if you 're someone like myself who believes in evolution, then you have to understand that humans have been using marijuana so much for so long we have co-evolved with the plant. Talk about deep and intellectual. And if someone also believes strongly in something like intelligent design, well then they have to ask the question, why did the intelligent designer put this in there? We don't have it for opioids. We don't have it for alcohol. We don't have it for tobacco. We only have it for the botanical plant cannabis. So I just think prohibition is such an affront. It literally attacks something as basic as evolution or intelligent design. That's how dysfunctional marijuana prohibition is in this country.
2: Thank you. Very thought-provoking. Uh, thank you for being on the show, Mr. St. Pierre. I appreciate it.
3: No, My pleasure. Thank you.
2: And that's all the time we have today. Thank you. Uh, it was another great show. Please join us next week. Have a great week and enjoy life.
1: Thank you for listening to I Took the High Road. Please join Jacob Jansen for another encouraging hour next Friday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll see you next week.